Episode 50, Elite Endurance Performance. Welcome to the Oxidative Potential Podcast, where we discuss all things sports science and performance. I'm your host, Matthew DeRoche, and with me is my fellow co-host, Phil Batterson. Enjoy. Here we go. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Yes. Just, so, so we in just podcast time. Yeah. Sorry, so in, go ahead. in no worries in podcast time. This is probably like like no gaps or anything like that. But Matt and I actually haven't sat down to talk in what like two three weeks because we've yeah. been busy yeah. with a bunch of stuff. He's been battening down the hatches literally and and avoiding the the hurricane. So it's good. It's good to see you again. I have been lucky enough to be in Kona for the Ironman World Championship. So we were just about to start talking about that. So yeah, so so what questions do you have for me? Because I'd love to help answer them. <laughs> so I was wondering, what were some of the big things that you, you came across in Kona that you've seen that really opened your eyes up to? Whether it was preparation, just the level of athletes, what, what were some of the things that you saw there that were interesting and different than some of the other yeah. places you've been? Yeah. First so, and foremost. Yeah. So, so the reason for those of you who don't know, the reason I was there is that I work as a uh, staff physiologist for Moxie Monitor, and that's how we actually have like the the cool discount hookup. So through them, I was able to go out and work a booth that was with three other companies: Core Body Temperature Sensor, VO2 Master, and then Moxie Monitor. And we had this booth. It was like data driven performance or something like that. And the whole point of it was that we want people to start to make decisions based on their physiology, not just what their training plan says. And one thing that's really helped us is that the the Norwegian team, so Bob, who's the coach, and then Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden all are working together and they all use all three of those products to do something different with their training. One of the one of the things that I really that really kind of like stood out to me was the amount of people who were coming by our booth and who were like aware of, oh, well I need to be heat uh, acclimated for Kona and I'm doing all this stuff in order to try to reduce the risk of overheating um, and overcooking on race day because Kona is like I don't know 85 90 degrees and humid as all get out and most of the people from the united states right it's october it's getting colder and they're not they're not used to the like the heat training and those sort of things so a lot of people were coming by they're like yeah i've had i've had failures in the past where i just overheat and then i can't eat anything or do anything like that so so that was that was one of the big things and the way that i talk to people about it and this is something that we talked about in the podcast about durability is like if you go and exercise, say say your normal temperature is 65 degrees and sunny or whatever it is, your functional threshold power or your critical power or whatever you want to call it might be 300 watts. Mm. But then if you come out to Kona and you're jet lagged, so you're a little fatigued, you're dehydrated because it's 85 degrees and sunny all the time and you just simply can't drink enough and it's just hot, your FTP might be 250 watts. Like there might be that much of a decrease in your performance because of that. However, people come and they have a race plan and they follow their power meter, not their physiology. And they don't realize that they're exercising above their their threshold power the entire time. And then they wonder why they bonk on the run or do something crazy like that. But I think with, with the combination of those three technology companies working together and with the support of the Norwegian guys. So just just for those of you who aren't aren't aware, Gustav Eden, who Gustav Eden and Christian Blumenfeld were the two guys that we kind of sponsor and worked with. I was it was unfortunate I got there a little late, so I wasn't able to meet them. They were prepping for race day, but they went first and third. And this was the mm-hmm. first Ironman that they'd ever run or the first Ironman Kona that they'd ever run. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty incredible. And what they one of or and then and then Gustav, the guy who won it, he ran a two thirty six marathon at the end of the Ironman. Mm. So two thirty six is fast, yeah. just running, 
yeah. let alone after <laughs> five hours of, of hard work already. Yeah. And all three of the, like the top three guys would have all set the course record by like 10 minutes. So absolutely incredible performances. And I think with the way that the Norwegians use, say like Moxie, for example, like they use it for really precise exercise intensity control because they know that, say for example, Christian Blumenfeld's SMO2 number is 20. If he keeps his effort above 20% oxygenation, then he can maintain that all day. But as soon as he dips below that, there's a finite amount of time that he has until he fatigues. Granted, this is like in a really well-trained athlete. So those numbers aren't going to change too much day to day. So that 20% can be used for him, whether he's going up a hill at altitude or in a super hot environment or anything like that. So that was a that those were like the big things that that I noticed. But there's also a ton of people who are just like, well, let me just pay for more components and get faster that way, as opposed mm -hmm. to using the the physiology to truly guide their race intensity and their exercise intensities. Yeah, it's funny. I was just talking. To, well, one thing that popped out there, first and foremost, is like, if you want to get sponsored by Moxie as an athlete, good luck, because you'd have to be <laughs> Christian Blumenfeld or Gustav. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's because it's the only ones I know that are sponsored. So I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about all the athletes that are looking to get sponsored. I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, but I don't know. Don't don't quote me on that, guys. You might have you might have an easier time than you think. But it's funny because I was just talking about this the other day with a guy I work with, and I really like his attitude. Like he's just got a really, really good attitude around things. And one thing he's really good at, and I, I really like to see in people is like they don't limit themselves due to what everyone else is projecting on them. Mm -hmm. Right. So if they say like, oh, this is too quick of a turnaround time and blah, 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 it's not possible. It's like projection right of other people not whether it's they're not capable of, of attaining that or whatever right but one thing that we got into talking about is people saying oh this this type of racing is so much different than the way that you've been training and it's like well just because there's some technological in terms of technique and pedaling there might be some differences there mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that my physiology is any less trained so right. if i have a high capacity for motor learning and adapting it does it might not take me seven months of training on this specific type of mm -hmm. of uh, course or specific type of whatever just like some people can spend 90 percent of their time on the trainer right and be massively skilled just like perfect example speed skater niels vanderpool mm -hmm. where did he do 90 percent of his training yeah, on a freaking um, bike yeah yeah does that mean everyone can do it? No, no, absolutely not. Probably like 2% of the people could get away with that. Right. But I just hate how people project onto people as if everything out there is hard and fast rules, right? Because it's just not. Yeah. And and that's, that's, I think, one of the challenges we have with like the research that's out there, right? Is like everyone is trying to pick and choose like, oh, what's better? Polarized training, pyramidal training. Oh, what's the best interval to do in order to maximize VO2 max, like those sort of things. And in general, yeah, there's no hard and fast rules. And here's here's something that actually stood out, out for me. Olav gave a really good talk at our booth. And one of the things he was saying is that both Christian and Gustav were had been training for a sprint. It was either sprint or Olympic distance triathlons six weeks up to the Ironman training and then they switched okay. their training. And so, so they, they were able to basically go from one specific adaptation, which is Olymp the Olympic distance to mm -hmm. the Ironman distance in six weeks and essentially dominate the entire race, mm -hmm. which really puts like the, like really puts the idea that you need to really accumulate a lot of volume, a lot of volume, a lot of volume over time. And then you're going to maximize your, your Ironman potential. Like they're, they're flipping everything on their, on its head because they're using technology and because they're maximizing all the benefits from their training, they're able to switch that very, very specifically and very, very quickly, which I don't think has really ever been done before. And another thing on top of that is like, if these guys are going to continue to get better as long as they don't get burnt out. So it's like, 
Well, Christian won the gold medal in the Olympics, and then Gustav just won the Ironman. First time he's a, they've ever run the Ironman in Kona. Yeah. Set the record, and generally people peak in Ironman racing like 35 plus. One, I know they won. They, they placed really well. One of them got sick, but they placed in the, the world championships as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah yeah christian like yeah. i'm pretty sure christian won i don't know what ha- i don't yeah. know about gustav yeah and christian got sick before that too as well yeah um, something like that like few weeks sick. beforehand or is it you know it's like gosh these guys five days i'm pretty sure like it oh was, really yeah. it was even yeah, that it was super close yeah so i mean they've been crushing everything every time mm-hmm. i turn my head around i'm like i see like some type of <laughs> clipping of ah oh, first place and blah, blah, blah. it's just right. like these guys are absolutely on point with what they're doing mm-hmm. i've i've looked into some of their strava stuff i've looked at they're very open and it's, it's amazing i've watched some of their vlogs to get an understanding of their day-to-day i've listened to a lot of stuff with olaf over yeah. over the years it's no surprise like yeah it's just like phil skiba said it's like the athletes he, in his perspective that were on this highest tier in his mind were always the athletes that were willing to test the most it's not mm-hmm. people just think it's like some type of like oh you need to like obviously there's there's an appreciation first and foremost for consistency but yeah. when you're talking about a certain level, it's like consistency is like if you go into an uh, uh, an MMA room and you say consistency, it's like, dude, 90 no, percent of these guys are overtrained, like talking about consistency is not even really in the picture. No. So it's like it's hard sometimes because you have to consistency can also mean training appropriately too. like you have consistent training it's, habits. It's, it's funny you say that because I literally just made a reel about that. I was like, when when and how do you know to back off like say you have a hard workout scheduled when do you know when to back off and just take an easy day and push that hard workout to the next day because let's be honest like if you're being consistent whether that hard workout happens on a wednesday or a thursday doesn't matter at all yeah if you're overreaching and you injure yourself on that wednesday you're going to take three weeks off and you're going to lose three weeks of gain so like push it off a day do an easy day and then go from there Another thing that just came up to me, the at one point, Olav said that Christian and Gustav are able to push 160 grams of carbohydrate per hour. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. Like there's some there's some research that I've seen that's like, oh yeah, you maximize at about 90. And then there was one study that did 120 and had people run like a marathon or something like that. And what they showed was that if you could maintain 120 because you can train it, mm-hmm. then your levels of like inflammatory markers and other things like that after a marathon are essentially Decreased. nothing. Yeah. yeah. So, so from that perspective, I wonder if like maximizing that carbohydrate intake, like 160 plus is really helping them stay as, as consistent as they, as they really are because they're That's reducing true. that inflammatory response and then they can just hit it again the next day. I think for training volume, this does play a big role. Cause I've said this several times. I even said it with the podcast I did with Marinus that just came out the other day was bar none high carbohydrate diets allows you to tolerate the highest training loads. Mm-hmm. Bar none, bar mm-hmm. none. People want to talk about low carb and, 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 and performance for ultra endurance and stuff like that. There's, 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 there's a niche in there for that, for sure. Right. There's something to be said for some of these super long events. But in terms of actually handling large training volumes, burn on high, car- high carbohydrate diets rule, in, in my perspective, from what mm-hmm. I've seen personally, from some of the literature that I've seen yeah. in my own experience and with other athletes. The other thing, too, is that's how I look at like things like cold, right? Mm-hmm. Cold water immersion is you're not necessarily getting adaptation or a benefit of adaptation necessarily from the cold water immersion around endurance exercise. Mm -hmm. There's stuff to be said on that. I'm sure there's going to be something in the future to maybe prove that I'm wrong or one or another maybe, but it's the fact that subjectively feeling um, you can handle much more training Mm -hmm. volume. Like there's Mm -hmm. never a time when I was doing cold water immersion every morning, the, the training volume could just keep going up and up mm-hmm. and up. And I could li- literally just never top myself. And I was like, right. I just feel amazing waking up every mm-hmm. day doing this. So 
I mean, that carbohydrate thing is, is very interesting. It's like those, those inflammation levels and not, that's what I'm not going to get into that with cold water immersion, but that's not really necessarily the mechanism, but right. I think that's a big factor of playing them being able to show up the next day and the yeah. next day. Well, and next day. yeah, exactly. And even on their easy rides, they're, they're pounding a bunch of carbohydrates because they're getting prepared for the next hard ride. And yeah. I think this is where this is, again, this is where research and application are a little bit mismatched. We, we look at these short-term studies and we say, oh, well, if you take a lot of carbohydrate and you're eating a lot of uh, antioxidants and other things like that, it's going to blunt your exercise blunt response. response. And I'm like, yes, that's probably true. If you're, if, if you're taking a, a shitload of, yeah, of, yeah. And doing it in a, in a lab and all this sort of stuff. But yeah. If you can, if you, you can't tell me that if you go back every single day and your performance is getting better, that's blunting your response. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. That's that, the thing. Like, even if it is blunting your response, that's yeah. the thing that people don't understand. It's like, oh, I shouldn't do this because it'll blunt my response. Well, it's like, but what are the actual results going to end up? What is right. the ends just like, right. what are you, what, what are you, what's the justification there? Like, are yeah. you going to end up in a better place? That's yeah. really what you want to lay your hat on at the end of the yeah. day is your performance getting better because at the end of the day the velocity that you take the velocity that you can maintain over the course of a race is your performance and if that is getting better it does not matter yeah what the the physiology behind those adaptations are as much as like it hurts me to say that as like a physiology yeah. researcher it just matters if you're getting better and yes you could probably be like oh well if i do a little bit of like carbohydrate minimization or fat or like fat adaptation or something like that maybe you could eke out a little bit a little bit more but mm -hmm. is that incremental increase in performance it, is it is it too much like it, is it going to push you over that that edge that boundary of being able to sustain 120 plus miles a week running or like those sort of mm -hmm. things that's the same thing with like the kenyan guys like mm -hmm. i guess as men and women but you know they're always just chugging like super super like sugary tea and like other things like that like they eat yeah. just a bunch of like oh at least like from the documentaries like yeah, i've seen it's yeah. like just a bunch of wonder bread and a bunch of other stuff like that and it's like and everyone's yeah. like oh my god that's not healthy blah 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 it's like yeah sometimes performance isn't healthy yeah. but when you have that hot of a of a furnace yeah. any fuel that you put on it is just immediately going to be incinerated yeah, that's the thing too. If people don't understand, it's like there's a satiation factor to unprocessed foods, and we know this, right? Mm -hmm. This is why processed foods work the way they do. This is why there's it's not a coincidence that really, really smart people yeah. work as food scientists for these companies. It's not like, oh, oh well, how did that happen? But there's a reason for that. And and if you have a high demand in terms of of metabolic demand for your your exercise requirements and training requirements you are going to need to intake a high caloric, basically diet for, for your training. Mm -hmm. And if you're eating only, and I know people are going to kill me on the steak for saying this, if you're eating only unprocessed foods, that satiation factor is going to be really hard to overcome at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. And so it's not, I'm not saying everyone should eat processed foods. I'm saying for people that can't intake enough food, mm -hmm. right? For, because of the satiation factor and they're mm -hmm. what's what's going to be worse at the end of the day you getting reds or are you getting overtrained like literally overtraining syndrome from mm -hmm. not fueling yourself enough yeah and spend two years digging yourself out of that hole or eating a little bit of processed food to aid in getting that caloric need yeah. so it's like there's nuance to every conversation mm -hmm. and all that's lost on instagram or twitter yeah but, um, yeah and I'm not the person saying, hey, kids should be going out and eating processed food and, and getting diabetes and adding to the, the crisis of 2030. But right. Well, yeah, to, no, to go along with that. So that's actually like that's what my research focuses on. And it's this. And so what I tell people is like if you're if you're a high functioning, high volume type A sort of athlete, you have to be eating more like yeah. there's really no way around it. And the the biggest predictor of things like type 2 diabetes metabolic disease coronary heart disease all that sort of stuff is consistently overeating for extended periods of time yeah. if you're doing a lot of exercise the chances are that you're under eating and that could also have long-term negative ramifications for that you know how many people i saw at the iron man that were like just like like skin and bone super sickly is like 
you're going to wind up with some level of sarcopenia by the time you're mm -hmm. 60, 70, 80. And, mm -hmm. and then you fall down, you break a hip and then you die of pneumonia. That's like, mm -hmm. that's like the, the, the term. So mm -hmm. it's, you have to make a little bit more of a nuanced conversation. Are you eating for health and wellness or are you eating for performance? Because at the end of the day, it depends what your goal is. Um, if you're eating for health and wellness, then just know that you're not going to maximize your performance. And most likely you're going to be dampening your performance because you're not eating enough. And I've, I've fallen into this trap so many times and it's like, I make the connection to like with, with CrossFit. It's like when I'm, when I'm working hard at CrossFit and I'm drinking like a Gatorade during each, each workout, because that's high intensity, I need some sort of level of carbohydrate repletion. Um, mm -hmm. I stay healthier. I feel better. I sleep better all of this sort of stuff. But then when I stop, because I'm like, Ooh, maybe I'm getting a little fat right now. I could probably trim some, trim some weight off. It's like, I, I have brain fog throughout the day. I can't recover from my workouts. And then I end up injured or I like, I do something stupid. And yeah. so, so over time, at least from my perspective, it's like the importance of nutrition has gotten higher and higher and higher and higher because it, it affects everything. That's actually something fat loss. People don't really know is a lot of your the toxic substances in your bodies, like whether that's heavy metals or or things like microplastics that come from bisphenol A, bisphenol S, there's a million different bisphenols. Mm. Any of these things are actually stored in your fat cells. When people go through rapid weight loss, a lot of times they get brain fog. It's because a lot of those things are actually being mobilized in the blood now. And they've shown this. And it's, it can cause actually pretty severe symptoms for some people going mm -hmm. through rapid weight loss. Anyways, that was just a funny thought that just popped in my head. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought this is like an open discussion, but it, it is, it's so important folks to get like, I'm, I'm in this phase right now where because of the long work days that I'm doing and the high physical exertion that I'm, I'm, I get home for time at night. I haven't eaten yet because just the day is so busy. I probably maybe drank a sip of water. So when I come home, my fatigue level is so high and my palate fatigue is just almost instant. As soon as I put something in my mouth, I'm already overeating it mm -hmm. and getting nauseous to the taste of food. Trying to get food in is, is a real, and I don't ever have problems getting food in for the most part. But whenever I'm doing these really, really, really high exertion levels, I, I'm, I'm struggling right now to get food into me. And that's the thing. It's like a little bit of processed food right now. Last night, like I had a little bit of tortillas and, and taco dip. And man, that just pal fatigue was not an issue there. Right, right, right. The facts with the carbs. <laughs> yeah. And it just allowed me to get some more calories back in and wake up feeling a little less wrecked. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I'm not saying that's an everyday thing. But uh, yeah, so, man, I I wish we could just do a podcast just riffing, dude, because I love yeah. riffing with you. No, like, I, I just, know. It's fun just going off. It is. It is. I'll So, so one more thing I'll talk about is, so you had Zach Bitter on the podcast a little while yeah. ago, and he's, he's pretty yeah. famous for being one of like the early adopters of the low carbohydrate diet for ultra yeah. endurance athletes and stuff. And I listened to him talk to Rogan a few times and, and it's interesting because he definitely gets the moniker of like, Oh, low carb athlete. Mm -hmm. But then if you actually listen to him talking to Rogan, he's like, Oh yeah, I was eating a lot of carbohydrates on my super hard long runs after like when I actually got into the racing season and preparing for like those hundred mile records and other things like that, he was eating a lot of carbohydrates mm -hmm. because he recognizes that you need that high octane fuel in order to actually perform really well. And I think that's something that gets lost in the conversation. A lot of times people are like, oh, high fat, fat adapted athlete. That's why he's crushing everything. It's like, mm -hmm. yes, maybe. But at the same time, he's also eating a lot of carbohydrates because that's truly what's going to, to improve and maximize your, your endurance performance. Because if we, if we think about it, if, if RER values are, are real, then you generally are utilizing primarily fat upwards of 35% ish of your like exercise intensity. And then as you, anything over 35, you're starting to use some level of carbohydrate. Yeah. So yes, having an ability to maximize fatty acid oxidation is, is going to be good because it's going to spare those carbohydrates for, for longer and longer, but yeah, you still need exactly. carbohydrates no matter what. Yeah. Because eventually you're going to be exercising at an intensity, whether it's during an ultra, an ultra endurance marathon or an Ironman or a, a marathon that I think it's just a, 
from the research, it's a silly conversation now, but yeah. people are still like very beholden to it. And somebody asked Gustav or Olav about that during mm -hmm. his talk. And he was just like, like he was almost dumbfounded. He, he wasn't offended, but like, yeah. he was just like, yeah, he was like, that's stupid. Why wouldn't you eat carbohydrates? Like you have to have carbohydrates in order to yeah, have high yeah. levels of performance. Like, and it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but yeah, it was, yeah. you could tell that he's just like, gets this kind of, gets this ask all the time. And he's just like, rolls his eyes and then answers the question. Yeah. But yeah, I was just like, I was like, oh my gosh, that's absolutely hilarious. Cause people are like, even in the Ironman world, they're so stuck on this, like fatty. It's like, like let's maximize fat yeah. oxidation and it's ketosis like ketosis 100% of the time yeah and that's the thing it's like people take things out of context we're not saying that there can't be some adaptations made for brief periods of of going and and depleting carbohydrate stores especially if you're a time crunched athlete mm -hmm. like skiba skiba was talking about this too is like the benefits for that stuff are yielded more for people that don't have the ability to train mm -hmm. um high enough training volumes yeah. to be basically deplete glycogen, right? right. To build that adaptation. Right. Also on the other side, people that are doing ultra ultra endurance events. Yes, there can be something said because there's several different factors for why going low carb could work, whether it's because of digestion, mm -hmm. like high, high, hard carbohydrate intake, sorry, for long periods of time can be a problem for people's digestive digestive systems mm -hmm. and GI is one of the number reason number one reasons for dropout in ultra marathons right right so if you can balance that back a little bit like there's nuance to everything but people just cling to something they see they see low carb and they just like ketosis 100 of the time mm -hmm. until they drive themselves into overtraining syndrome mm -hmm. or whatever our bone bone metabolism so so yeah. severe that they get a stress fracture he yeah. was actually talking to last thing on that he was talking to alexander sorokskin or i'm butchering his last name i yeah. know but I, I follow him quite closely sometimes i'll go through periods where i'm like looking through all his training logs and stuff he's running like 40 his first run of the day is fasted which is like 40k mm. but people would take that as like oh that's like a low carb approach but he's like slamming tubs of ice cream at mm -hmm. night you know so it's like just because someone is doing something that's mimicking like a low carb approach too it's like I do fasted runs sometimes. Yeah. I know plenty of people that do fasted exercise. Doesn't mean that's low carb. Right. Because if you're ingesting high carbohydrate car carbohydrate intake after, um, you're getting from both buckets. Like mm -hmm. you're getting some adaptations that you might not get unless you're super high volume, but you're also replenishing to the point where you're not going to cause immunosuppression. Right. You're still going to have glycogen stores for the next day. There's lots of nuance to it, folks. Just like don't don't if you're doing anything extreme you're probably maybe a little bit off the boat that's what i realized over time mm -hmm. it's like if you're doing something extreme take the time to really think like am i actually crazy because a lot of times you don't want to be on point with what everyone else is doing but mm -hmm. you also don't want to be that person that's way off the mark but yeah sorry no, yeah. I, I think that's that's a that's a valid point. And we might not even get to what we're supposed to talk about today. <laughs> no, no, but uh, this is no, this is super fun because this is all stuff that I wanted to talk to you about in the past. But from like a nutritional standpoint, I think uh it, like speaking from experience, so I did an Ironman back in 2012 and I like trained with goose and had an idea, oh, I need to eat when I'm working out. This is when I had a mechanical engineering background, no, no experience with exercise physiology other than just being a runner. And yeah. I went to the Ironman and I was like, okay, I'm going to eat a banana and I'm going to eat a goo at every single aid station during my bike. Mm -hmm. And I crushed the bike that day, had no idea what my, my FTP was or anything like that, but wound up like going 20 miles an hour on this like aluminum frame bike. <laughs> That's savage. Yeah, dude, I was, I, awesome. I crushed it that day. I felt so good for That's seven awesome. hours or probably like closer to like eight or nine hours on the, on the Ironman. Yeah. During the, uh, during Ironman Louisville, it's a two loop course so that you come to the end of your first like 13, 14 miles and then you have, and you see the finish line yeah. and then you have to turn out and do another 13. <laughs> So, so I turned and then my stomach started hurting and then I started walking yeah. and like, like after that, I couldn't eat, drink, do anything because every time I would, I'd cramp up from my stomach to my shoulder yeah. and 
it was for sure eating too much and not being trained to eat that much carbohydrate. Exactly. Can't undo that either. No, exactly. In the middle of a race, it's like you have to stop. Yeah. If you can't undo that. Yeah. So, so it was like, so I was, I, I would walk a cone, run a cone, walk a cone, run a cone. And then try to talk to every other person that was like <laughs> going by me. I was like, let's start a podcast. No. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was one of those things. I was doing everything in my in my power to distract myself from from what was actually happening. And but the bottom line is, is that a don't change anything on race day, no matter no matter what it might be. Or, or what idea you might get, do not change anything on race day because your body is not going to agree with that. And then two, train carbohydrate intake. There's things like Morton out there now and other like powder, powder drinks and, and gels and other things like that. Experiment with stuff, especially if you're going to be doing these super long efforts, experiment with stuff until you find something that works for you. Because it works for the, the Norwegians who have a lot of money and a lot of access to a lot of different technologies may not work for you. For example, like I switched from using things like goo and yeah, pretty much goo to applesauce packets because the applesauce packets were a little bit less sweet, a little bit less carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. And I found that I could eat multiple of those throughout an hour and not have any issues with my stomach or anything like that. Whereas like the goose were a little bit harsher on my stomach. Pretty concentrated. Yeah, exactly. And they're just like, yeah. they're oversweet. And and yeah. then sometimes you get the caffeine with them. So then you're like wired, but you're exhausted. And it's just this weird battle. <laughs> yeah. So So that's something that I want people to just be aware of is you got to practice it and you got to figure out what actually works for you because it's not, it's not a one size fits all. And if you're going too hard, like say during an Ironman, then chances are you're going to be taking blood away from your digestive system, moving it to your muscles and to your skin for cooling. And you're going to make it a lot harder to absorb those carbohydrates. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely, there's nuance in nutrition too, like with glucose polymers and these things, like you have to understand that depending on your, your ability to actually shuttle the glucose also like what is what is the makeup of your gut bacteria diversity right like do you have gut issues already like do you have mm-hmm. leaky gut you have you, you have leakage leakage in the in the in the, the junction proteins the zonulins like is this an issue for you already even before you start putting carbohydrates in your body do you have a really really poor diversity of like really less favorable strains of clostridia and these types of bacteria that are like i'm going to really feed off that sugar and create a pretty poor climate in your gut because all these things aid into your recovery too. If you're, if you're just slamming back carbohydrates and just aggravating your, 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 your lining and Mm -hmm. essentially creating these massive patches of, of escape routes for bacteria to get into Mm -hmm. your blood, your recovery is going to be greatly diminished. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you, you have to really take the time. And that's the thing about these Norwegian guys. It's like, they know themselves really well. And they also mm-hmm. have someone that's being paid to know them just as well or better um, right. than themselves in some ways, right? The athlete always knows himself the best, mm-hmm. but also the physiologist is going to know them on a kind of different level and a more objective level than the athlete themselves. The athlete also has the benefit of the subjective experience, right? Which mm-hmm. is you can never reach that understanding and knowledge as a coach but or a physiologist. But yeah, so understanding what you have in front of you is a is an important factor of like do you maybe need to go take care of your your gut first before you start slamming back hundreds of, of grams and it's just there's so many aspects that you, you with people they have to be cognizant of sometimes right yeah. yeah and i mean it can even be almost like monitoring your gut health and stuff can almost be as simple as uh being aware of how your bowel movements feel <laughs> look and at, what yeah, they and look like. Like, look honestly, like, like, is it, yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, you got to look at your shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so true, dude. Yeah. Such a weird topic to talk about, but it's like a huge factor of health. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, it's like, like there could be extraneous factors that are also impacting your gut health, say like stress at a really tough job, relationship, yeah. stress, other things like that. Cause I tell you what, when, when I'm over working, working 14 hour days with Moxie, 
on yeah. the big island in Kona and I'm generally relaxed and I'm having great conversations and those sort of things and don't have anything else to think about, mm -hmm. man, my gut's great. But yeah. as soon as I get back to my PhD, Whew. it's, it's, it's not. And that could definitely be a factor in why I can't accumulate very much volume or tolerate much exercise intensity and volume and those sort of things right now. Um, yeah. because I'm just in during for my PhD, I'm just in such a high stress environment mm -hmm. that it's just almost impossible for me to feel that relaxation and, and get recharged. So that also plays a factor. All this sort of stuff we're talking about, it's like all, all related to the Ironman, but I think it extends to a lot of other aspects of life, just like the, the psychology talk that we had, right? Yeah. Is like when, when you're in the pursuit of anything that's like, say like performance related, you have to be aware of all the inputs yeah. and to circle back. I think that's what the Norwegians do really, really well. Yeah. They're, they're monitoring and tracking so many things that like to the point they're doing proteomics and transcriptomics on the blood of both of both Gustav and Christian every single quarter and tracking how those change over change. time. Yeah. Like they're spending, like they're spending thousands of dollars to get those analyzed at like a research lab. And it's just like, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. For example, when Matt Frazier went on Joe Rogan and was talking about all the things he does in order to maximize his performance and the reason why he was so dominant during like the five CrossFit games that he won, mm -hmm. he would send a bed to his hotel because he hated the beds that were in his hotel room. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. when people heard, and then he, and he was eating high carbohydrates, he was like, yeah, I would eat candy bars and stuff during my two, three hour like aerobic sessions. And mm -hmm. everyone's like, whoa, holy shit. I never thought about that. And it's just like, yeah, well, obviously you're always going to be by people who have all the details dialed in because when you get to the highest, highest level of performance and elite level, it's not, it, you can't just be consistent. Like we were talking about, you actually have yeah. to have something in your back pocket. Yeah. Efficiency and consistency within your yeah. training. So, yeah. Cause if it was just that sim simple of being consistent, don't get me wrong. Being consistent is is a hard thing but oh yeah guess and what? You can, for people that have a sorry go ahead i was gonna say and you can get 90 percent of the way there just by being consistent over time exactly but you know <laughs> you take 90 percent of people with a broken home syndrome kind of thing and they're in athletics like consistency is like the last problem on the list it's like they're probably have an exercise addiction um like it's like pulling back the reins and especially with type a athletes it's like right consistency is really never the big problem. So I know like sometimes when we talk, it gets nuanced into some of these things like how that matter. It's like just getting on the bike is good enough. Well, there's a big divergence in that divergence. Like both people can work a shift work job or both people can work a nine to five. And there's just two drastically different people in front of you. Like one has mm -hmm. a family. One person doesn't have a family. One person, they spend all their excess money and passive income on their sport, the other person it's towards other investments. There's like, there's just so many different factors that it's mm -hmm. like they can make huge divergences in athletes and their willingness to do things right. and their ability to do things. Like, even though athletes can be at a relatively similar level, it doesn't mean that, you know, the same issues is like of consistency is always going to be the problem. But because that's the thing I, I, I work with a lot of people that consistency is like, it's, it's not even a talk really. It's no. like, consistency is a talk when it comes to like the minutia of like getting your shit set up for sleep and whatever right. and organize for well these different things and getting your recovery time like that's the consistency that yeah time. yeah no i totally agree with that and i think i think the it's like for people who are first starting it's like you're gonna get gains just by being consistent i think that's yeah. like it's, it's the same thing with like oh if you eat a little bit better um or it's like like focus on the big rocks first like mm -hmm. try to go to bed a little bit earlier, like all of those things that are going to get you 80% of the, the benefit. But then once you start to get into the individuals who are like type A individuals, I go to CrossFit or I, I do my workouts every single day. Mm -hmm. Consistency look, looks a little different. Mm -hmm. That consistency now changes from, oh, here's the workout plan to, mm -hmm. well, listen to your body and tweak the workout plan out to how you're feeling. Yeah. And then staying consistent with that for a long period of time is really important because yeah. that's going to be, it's like that next level 
of maximizing your gains that you're getting. So yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I think like, as you, as you get higher and higher and higher, you just have to pay attention to more and more finer details. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a guy in my, in my lab who just started his master's degree and he wants to get into cycling in those sort of mm-hmm. things. He's never cycled before anything like that. And he's like, well, like, what do you want me to do? Like, what, like, what can I do? I'm like, well, I, I really, I want to do the least amount of work that's going to elicit some sort of benefit. So I'm like, well, how many days a week do you want to work out? He's like, well, like three to four. I'm like, okay. Like that's, I think that's pretty manageable. 30 minutes to an hour. Like if we actually have time and I'm like, okay, like I want you to do like two sessions of zone two or lower training. And I'm like, and he's like, well, typically I'll go and I'll ride. Like my zone two stuff is like at, at 130, 140 beats per minute. I'm like, that's probably too high. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, how could that be too high? Like, I feel good afterwards. And I feel like I could do it for a really long time and all that. I'm mean, like, because we're trying to get consistency and we're trying to keep you healthy over a long period of time. If I just mm-hmm. told you to go do like your like threshold work zone three stuff every single day, like eventually you're going to get tired of it because mm-hmm that stuff is, is a little bit too hard. So what we're going to do is we're going to dial it back because you're still going to get benefit from going easy. Yeah. yeah. Like what you, what you perceive is easy, but being a type a individual, anything that is uh, perceived as easy, isn't worth doing. Apparently (laughs) speaking from experience, it's really hard for me to do that too. And then I'm like, and then on some days we're going to go really hard and we're going to track your FTP over time. Cause all we have is really the ability to do an FTP test and that's about it. And we're going to continue that same progression until you stop improving. And then we'll tweak something very small and then we'll keep improving and then so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So whereas if like an elite level athlete came to me, I'd be like, all right, well, what do you want to track? Cause we probably got to track everything and we probably got to make informed decisions every single day for yeah. your training in order to maximize things. Yeah. 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 It's like, there's a saying, Jan, or there's a saying Dan John always quotes. It's like from from one of his mentors, or someone that he's taken from. Is lift weights three times a year, three or sorry, lift weights three times a week, throw the shot put five days a week, do that for eight years, and you'll you'll get there. And it's yeah. like that. I I I love that because it's like whenever the time comes for you to actually start focusing on those things, you'll know you'll be there. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like, I mean, I shouldn't say that for some people, some people just do the same thing over and over and over again. I know, I know plenty of people like this, so I shouldn't say that, but it's like, you should, after a few years, start to get your head around like, okay, I've been consistent enough. I've done enough volume. Now I put enough back to back. I'm starting to plateau here not seeing much is there anything that i could start to add to my training that's going to make more sense now like mm-hmm. it's like it's a process of like yes doing that is going to get 75 it's almost like a confidence interval it's like 95 percent mm-hmm. of the population is going to get there from yep. just doing that and then to get to the next level it's like you're now you're gonna have to start pulling out the the individuality of training mm-hmm. right like because mm-hmm. that's what they're doing that's what the the norwegians are doing that's what we're doing mm-hmm. that's what most coaches are paid for is the individuality of like yeah. making things work for people yeah, yeah that are different but yeah i think another thing too folks is like really try and enjoy your process too because if if things become laborious and if things become if they become a little bit too hard like this is what i tell people just soak up that whatever it is if it's easy work zone two work soak it up yeah just soak it up because there's going to be a day where it's not going to be easy work and you're not going to want to do it right and just take the time when you can to really enjoy what you're doing and enjoy the process of looking at it for as a 10-year thing not a a next year thing or my Mm -hmm. ftp in six months thing yeah i'm looking at as a kind of a a longer journey of when do I want to be like 15 years from now? Because if you want to be doing well 15 years from now, that's a different process than getting really, really good a year from now. Right. Two different things. You yeah. can get, and this is what I see with CrossFit or some of these these sports where athletes are starting to train for quite rigorous, rigorously in strength and conditioning. It's like they're looking to get a lifetime out of one year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you might get really, really good, good results in one year, but you might plateau for six years after that, right? And then end up quitting well, rather than consistency. Yeah, and that's that's like that's like the hardest thing I think with a lot of people who who start CrossFit just as like a 
general athlete is like they see all these gains because essentially you're just getting the kitchen sink thrown at you. You're yeah. doing high intensity interval training. You're doing a lot of weightlifting. You're doing all this stuff. And you're like, holy shit. Like my back squat went up. My deadlift went up for, for generally about four to eight weeks. That's, that's pretty much your go-to. And then after that, because like the, the prescription of the actual, the prescription of like the actual workouts of the day for a class mm-hmm. is, is, is highly variable. Mm-hmm. Then they start to see plateaus and all of that. And it's, it's. I was talking to Andrew Sellers, who's one of the co-founders of VO2 Master. Master. He's a, he, yeah, he's also a really good like triathlon coach. And he was like, he, he was telling me the story about this kid that he was coaching. And he was like, yeah, like for this kid, we'd have him work out three days a week and he was getting better and he was racing and he was winning. And then the kid comes to him. He's like, well, all my, all my colleagues or all my like fellow racers, they're all doing high intensity interval stuff. And why am I not doing that? He's like, he's like, we'll do it in time. And then eventually the kid, he, he kept doing better, kept doing better, kept doing better. Eventually, uh, you know, got to the end of the season, still wasn't doing interval interval stuff. And he's like, he's like fed up with Andrew and he, he comes to him and he's like, well, why aren't we doing any interval stuff? And Andrew's like, well, how'd your season go? And he's like, well, I won every race and I was improving the entire season. So then he's like, well, why would we have to do interval training if you're winning every race? He's like, oh, well, I don't know. So they kept training, kept training. And eventually this kid finally reached a plateau. Mm -hmm. So then they started to prescribe the high intensity interval stuff. And at first it was like one day a week because you do the high intensity interval stuff and then he'd be smashed. And then it was two days a week and then eventually three days a week and then four days a week. And eventually it's like, he, he got to a point where four days a week was not sustainable yeah. and, but his, his performance was improving the entire time and the intervals were super hard. And then just like, so this is what you wanted. How do you feel? And the kid's just like, oh, it's just so hard. And I'm just too tired all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, exactly. So we're going to back you off and then we're going to, going to reintroduce it. But I think that's like, the thing that research does really well is, is looking at interventions that maximize a certain, a certain performance variable or physiological variable or something like that. Mm. What it does a terrible job doing is measuring how your performance is improving over time, not just six weeks. Mm. And it's like, at the end of the day, I would take a half percent improvement every single week for the rest of my life over a 10% improvement for five weeks and then no change after that. But again, that's not what people think about. They're like, well, I just need to get better now. And it's the same thing with weight loss, right? People are like, I need to lose weight now. It's like, well, it took you 30 years to gain that weight. So it's going to probably take, it should take you 30 years to lose that weight. But everyone wants like the quick fix. And it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, do the bare minimum to elicit the most amount of change. Yeah. That's, it's funny that you talked about that with weight loss, because that's the thing that people understand. It's like when you, when you mobilize fatty acids from, from a fat cell, you're, you're causing an injury to that fat cell. But if you do too much of that too quickly, you create inflammation in your fat and, and those collagen fibers that kind of structure the fat cell itself become stiffened. And they become more resistance to change in the future and, and mobilization in the future. And that's why people that go through these yo-yo diet swings, their fat cells are in a constant state of inflammation. And they wonder why, like they ha- they're having such a hard time yeah. managing their weight and, and why weight's not coming off or they're gaining weight again. And, and also their, their endocrine system is responding to that inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, it's, it's no different than like, if you look at the hormesis curve of pretty much anything out there, whether it's low level radiation, whether it's exercise, whether it's hypoxia, like I was talking about this with my partner, she's going for a nurse practitioner and we're talking about some of the new methods that are being said, well, they're not new. They've been around for a while of essentially hypoxia, creating hypoxia in some of the vessels in your heart to, mm-hmm. to prevent poor outcomes with MIs, right? Myocardial mm-hmm. infarctions. And this is kind of a, a, a new thing being talked about and are being put forth. And it's like, there's a curve to everything. Um, mm-hmm. If you take too much away um, in the beginning, you get greedy. You tap that thing out mm-hmm. because 
to to get more on top of that now you're going to either have to injure yourself drive yourself into basically submission yeah and that's the thing if you start off with a super high trade training volume in the in the beginning it's like where um, do you go you have no room you have no ceiling left i see this way too often especially with strength athletes because the muscle will adapt quicker than the tendons the ligaments and the mm -hmm. bone right even though the bone can re re bone tendons and ligaments can get more stimulus throughout the day like they can receive more they adapt quicker and mm -hmm. people get way too strong for their structure, right? For their skeleton. Right. And I've seen this so many times with powerlifting, especially in high school or kids, massive amounts of hormones going through their body, right? They're just getting jacked and you're getting too strong for your body and mm -hmm. things start to go wrong when that happens. So sometimes just because you can get better doesn't mean you should get better. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds crazy, but if you can consistently keep going up the hill, just make it a little bit more consistent rather than trying to peak all the time. Right. Um, so that's kind of like, like what is optimal? Optimal is not always optimal. Right. Yeah. There's a difference between maximizing and optimizing. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. I know. I think, I think that's a great, great place to end. It was super great to finally getting to catch up and all of that sort of stuff. I think going forward, we'll try to, be a little have like more specific topics and stuff like that yeah we were supposed to talk about crossfit <laughs> training today sorry folks we had this idea that we we're going to talk about some of the nuances that maybe could be benefited from in crossfit training but yeah. maybe we'll save that for next week obviously yeah yeah, yeah, no, I think I think that would be that would be super fun because we touched on it a little bit and I think with crossfit just to give everybody a teaser there's so many uh things that you need to train in order to be good at crossfit that it's really hard to balance all of that and continually move things forward without burning people out. So we'll leave you on that. As always, you can find me at critical O2 on Instagram. You can find Matt at resilience HPC on Instagram and then oxidative potential on YouTube. Please leave comments, ask questions to us, all of those sort of things. Are there any topics you guys want to see? I'm trying to focus a little bit more on, on publishing information that's more like research back and uh, matt what's I, I don't know specifically what your focus is right now i know you just you post a lot of the clips on yeah uh, i've been podcast. even failing at that i just haven't caught up from since we had the hurricane i'm like so because we lost childcare for quite some time mm -hmm. i don't want to give the story here but it's just like i've been so far behind so i really apologize for not you know pushing stuff out there like I, I usually try and do even as minimal as it is but yeah no so i usually try and put clips but i'm going to try and get back i'm going to try i promise i'm going to try to get back to posting some youtube videos around various topics and sports performance and and whatnot yeah yeah awesome well until the next one have a great day everybody and we'll uh, we'll catch you next time peace